Welcome to Catch These Vibes. This is Charmonique, and you're listening to episode 20 of season four. This season, we are doing a 90s series. We're talking about 90s movies. So this episode, we are getting into New Jack City, which came out in 1991. Check out the trailer. Wesley Snipes, we will own this city. Ice T, Alan Payne, Chris Rock, Mario Van Peebles, Christopher Williams, Vanessa Williams, Tracy Camilla Johns, and Judd Nelson. This is Detective Nick Peretti, big crazy jawhead, motorcycle freak, reject cop, just like you, Scotty. On the streets, there's a fine line between wrong and right, good and bad, between those who enforce the law. It is a war out there. And those who break it. Gone are the days of selling on the street corners, dark alleyways in the back rooms of some bummy-ass bar. We ain't with that no more. In a city where survival depends on friends. It's always business. Never personal. On family. We gotta look out for one another. On trust. On loyalty. On power. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am! A family out to run a city are up against cops who know its streets. This ain't business. This is personal. This is big business. This is the American way. City. Oh, yeah. So, thankfully, the trailer went through pretty much all the people's names. Like, that trailer wasn't even long, but it seems like it was dragged out for some reason i was just kind of waiting for it to end already but yeah so the director of this movie is mario van peoples so you did hear his name in the trailer he does play um he does play i don't know if he's is he if he's considered a detective i can't recall but he does play like a cop known as stone but he also directed the movie. So I thought that was pretty interesting that he he did both. Very impressive. So let's look at what else he's directed. I mean, he's done a lot of acting. Um, a lot of acting. So looks like that's mainly what he's known for is being an actor. He's an actor who... Got his start out early as a director as well. So let's look at the other things that he actually directed. So he has a long list. So I'm trying to go get to the beginning. All right. So I see a lot of things that he produced. Looks like he directed an episode 
first directed an episode back in 88, a TV series called Sunny Spoon. He directed three episodes of the show 21 Jump Street that starred Johnny Depp and others. Can't really see from the uh, picture. So, so yeah, New Jack City was his first movie that he directed. So I just wanted to see that. And he's done a lot of work. So definitely check him out. Mario Van Peoples. The writers to the of the movie are Thomas Lee Wright and Barry Michael Cooper. So Thomas Lee Wright, he's the, the writer of this story. It looks like he's also known for, he pretty much has worked as a screenwriter for every major studio. And he, he's just, you know, one of the people, or he is the person that wrote the original story and screenplay for Warner Brothers hit New Jack City. So this is a movie that New York Times called an urban classic once it reached its 25th anniversary of the premiere. So it's definitely one of those classic movies that I feel like you have to talk about when you talk about the 90s. So it does look like there was another writer of the screenplay on here. His name is Barry Michael Cooper. So Barry Michael Cooper, he also wrote Sugar Hill. So Sugar Hill might be a movie that people may confuse, but just because it also has Wesley Snipes in it, um, I think that Sugar Hill is the one that I remember seeing, like actually seeing the movie through. Um, I definitely would need to, do need to watch it again because it's it's been a while. But Sugar Hill came out in 1993, and and I remember that movie way more than I remember New Jack City. Like, with New Jack City, when I just watched it for this episode, I feel like that was the first time watching it from beginning to end, like, that, that I can recall. It's like, I remember certain things about it. Like, I remember, I knew, I know the scene where people like to make the meme of with him when Wesley Snipes crying and he, he, when he shoots G money. So I'm, I know that's a very famous meme. Um, and I knew it was from this movie. Um, and then I remembered the ending of the movie also, but again, I just don't recall like seeing it all the way through. So this was basically like the first time for me. So there was a lot of parts in it. Where I was like, I was like, what? Like that really happened? Like somebody really wrote that in the script? <laughs> and we gonna get into that. But yeah, so Sugar Hill is, I think I would prefer Sugar Hill over New Jack City, honestly. Um, and so Barry Michael Cooper, he also wrote the screenplay for Above the Rim. He was a producer for the movie or the, the actual TV show um she's got to have it which stars Dewanda Wise um I actually enjoyed that show so he did write about 3 episodes of the show 
It's a really good show. If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix, I believe. Um, or it was at least. So it looks like, yeah, that looks like some most of the the the, the main things that he is known for. I do see some he pro- as a producer for the American Gangster show. Now, which show is this? Oh, it's a TV series. Follow the Lives of American Gangsters. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. People like that. All right, so those are the writers of this movie and also the director, Mario Van Peoples. So what I'm curious about is Ice-T. I feel like Ice-T in this movie, his acting wasn't terrible, but there were some parts where I'm just like, nah, that was bad. Like it was, it was, it was actually really bad on some parts, but let's just take a look at if this was his first movie, Johnny and Monic, a data courier literally carrying a data package inside his head must deliver it before he dies from the burden or is killed by the Yakuza. Now this movie sounds familiar, but I don't think I ever seen it. It sound it starts Keanu Reeves as Johnny Mnemonic. Mnemonic. Oh, it's on Netflix? Okay, I'm going to check that out. But it says Ice-T is in this movie and he plays J-Bone. So maybe this is his second movie. There's a movie called Tank Girl that he was in. T-Saint. He always playing. He was T-Saint. He was J-Bone. His real name is Ice-T. Well, not his real name. His his artist name is Ice-T. Anywho, anyways, yeah, Ice-T, everybody. <laughs> he wasn't, like, terrible in this movie, but because I think he, he plays, like, the, that, that attitude, like, that gangster attitude, like, that hard attitude. I think he plays that really well, and maybe because that's just how he really is. I feel like that's why it's so believable. But when it came to like the like the the technical type of acting, like the you know, like the part where especially I'm probably the bit the last scene. <laughs> that scene was pretty terrible to me. Like when he was uh, when he was beating up Nino and <laughs> He says something so wild, and I'm just like, why did the writers write that? Like, why? What was the reason for that? Like, he says, um, "I want to shoot you so bad, my dick hard." And I'm, I heard that part, and I'm just like, huh? Like, what? <laughs> like, who thought that was a good idea to write that? Like, I mean. I guess, but yeah, that part to me was just terrible. And when he just, it was just bad. I That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it at that. But yeah, so Ice-T plays Scotty. And so he had a personal vendetta against Nino Brown, played by Wesley Snipes, because Wesley, uh, Nino killed his mother. He got initiated and he killed his, he killed a lady 
to get initiated into the gang. And that lady just so happened to be Scott's mom. So he really was out to get him, not only because of that, but because he was just a bad person overall. He was one of those drug dealers that, or people, period, that just only thought about themselves. Everything that they did was about, was for themselves. And so he tried to do, make it seem like he was doing kind things for the neighborhood, for the people in the neighborhood. And maybe he did do a little bit of something here and there. But for the most part, overall, I feel like everybody knew that he was an evil person just by his actions. Um, He wasn't like, you know, what's it called? A vigilante. Yeah, I think that's what what Ice T called him in the movie or or said that he he wasn't in the movie. He was just a bad person. So nobody really fucked with him. Now let's get into Chris Rock. So Chris Rock, he plays Pookie. Pookie is he is the 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 main crackhead of the movie. Let's just say that. We get to see him get clean and then we see his demise which I wasn't expecting I mean I guess it was kind of predictable but to be honest for a moment I was like wait look he that was he might turn his his life around I, I thought that for a second I really did so Chris Rock got his start out in 1985. There was this movie called Crush Groove. It says that he was just a person standing next to the club phone. So I think like the first movie that where he was actually acting and he got has gotten credit for it was Beverly Hills Cop 2, which came out in 1987. So he was the parking valet. And then it looks like he did... Um, Miami Vice, he was on an episode of that in a movie called I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and some music videos. And then here we have New Jack City, 1991. And then 1992, he was in Boomerang. He played Boney T. He was the mailman. We have him on In Living Color for about six episodes. This He was Yuck Mouth and Panther, 1995. Pretty busy, pretty active throughout all all throughout nineteen ninety um all throughout the nineteen nineties for sure. Okay, so yeah, he plays Pookie, and I think he did he he did a decent job with his acting overall. I mean, there were some parts where it was kind of bad, but I was rooting for him. I really was rooting for Pookie. But he he ended up relapsing and messing up the whole thing, the whole scheme, the whole undercover thing. And he ended up getting himself killed. So poor, poor little Pookie. But yeah, Chris Rock. And then we have Alan Payne who played G Money. Now, Alan Payne, what I really know him from is Jason's Lyric and Vampire in Brooklyn. 
those are the two movies that I think of when I when I see him. Um, I think he did. Um, overall, he did a really good job in this movie. Um, obviously, I mean, it wasn't the perfect performance. I think the best acting in this movie was done by Wesley Snipes, but I think uh, at this point, Wesley was probably the most, you know, the biggest star, bigger star of the movie, the most experienced at this point. I could be wrong. Um, I mean, obviously, the pe- his elders in the movie, like, um, let me see. His elders in the movie, like Bill Nunn and uh, Bill Cobbs, obviously, they pro- it's possible that they have more experience. Um, and, and rest in peace to Bill Nunn. He passed away in 2016. Um, let's take a look at his filmography, just 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 because so let's go all the way back to the 90s and see what Mr. Bill Nunn was up to so his first credited role was Daphella Grady in School Days which came out in 1988 he was in Do the Right Thing the next year Death by Temptation 1990 Cadillac Man 1990, Mo Better Blues, 1990, and then we have New Jack City, 1991, Regarding Henry, 1991, uh, Sister Act, 1992, Silent Witness, What a Child Saw, 1993, he was in Candyman in 1995, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, 1995, Man, he was busy. He was also in Money Train, 1995. Bulletproof, 1996. That's a really funny movie. I might do that movie, actually. Kiss the... Oh, my gosh. He was in Kiss the Girls, too. I forgot. 1997. Another movie that I have to do, that I'm planning on doing. He Got Game, 1998. Fool, oh my gosh, Foolish, 1999. This guy was busy. He was even in Spider-Man, 2002. Runaway Jury, 2003. Like, I'm, we going beyond the 90s at this point because it's just, that's how busy he was. He was also in Spider-Man 3, 2007. Wow, this man. Yeah, Bill Nunn, he was, rest in peace to him, man. He 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 did his thing, for real, for real. And then another elder, but wait, let me see something, though. Because Wesley Snipes was born in 62. Okay, okay. So, yeah, Bill, Bill Nunn was born in 53, so he is Wesley's elder. And so is Bill Cobbs. He played the old man who eventually is the person who shot Nino Brown because he he just he got off he ends up getting off in the movie um and so Bill Cobbs was the person who put him to death um Bill Cobbs he doesn't have a name for him it just says old man so 
But let's go ahead and look at his his filmography. Because I'm very much curious. As an actor, I'm showing 191 titles. Have a... Um, Alright, so... Alright, so the first thing I see here was... In Man... So he was credited as, as Man on Platform in the movie The Taking of Pelham 123, 1974. He was in Good Times, only in one episode... He was Mr. Jones in this movie called Greased Lightning in 1977. He was a bartender in a movie called A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich. Wait, what? A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich. It also has Cicely Tyson, Larry B. Scott, Paul Winsfield. What? A troubled boy becomes addicted to heroin and his mother... And foster father help him fight it. Oh, okay. So it's based off of a movie. All right. But that that's a real interesting title. But okay, let's get back to the to the filmography. So he was in a movie called The Hitter in 1978. So let's go fast forward to the 90s because this. Mr. Bill Cobbs, he just got, he got a long list here. All right. So TV series, one episode, um, looks like he was Henry slash Charlie in Designing Women. Gabriel's Fire. So this is the first actual movie in the 90s. Everything else was a TV series. So New Jack City was the first movie he did in the 90s. He also was in People Under the Stairs, which I do remember. The Bodyguard, Demolition Man, Man with a Gun, Captiva Island. Okay. Ed, That Thing You Do, First Kid. I really used to um, love that movie. Ghost of Mississippi. A movie called Soulmates. Airbud. Okay. Hope Floats. Okay. Love that movie. That movie came out in 1998. I still know what you did last summer. He was in that. I forgot. He was Estes. Yep. He worked at the hotel. I remember. Okay, and then I also want to take a look at um, Vanessa Williams. So Vanessa Estelle Williams. She was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. She plays Keisha, who goes out like a G. Let's look at her filmography. We just we just paying these. Um, we giving we giving our flowers right now. This is what we doing. We giving our flowers. So let me scroll. Okay, okay, here we go. All right, so it looks like this was her, New Jack City was her first movie. Before, Prior to that, she was in a music video, TV series, and then it says New Jack City was the first movie. Um, She was, did a couple episodes on the Cosby show, for to be exact. She played Cheryl slash Jade. 
And she was in Candyman. She was in this one and the new one. The first Candy Candyman um, came out in 1992. A movie called Mother in 1996. She did an episode of Malcolm and Eddie, a really great show. I remember that. Six episodes of Chicago Hope. Uh, looks like she was on the Steve Harvey show. Like Mike in 2002, she played the pharmacist. She did a 74 episodes of the Soul Food series. Okay, and then I also just want to look at... Um, I don't know why I forgot how to pronounce her name. Well, her first name is Michael. I'll leave it at that. And I can't remember if I went through all of her her filmography the last time I talked about her because I talked about her when we talked about the six men she was in the six men with Marlon Waynes so Nino Brown his character was messing with her character and her she plays Selena and she like he did her so dirt like he just was like a terrible person all around in this movie like he wasn't even like it was no real likable characteristics other than the fact that he said some of the slickest shit and you know he was handsome other than that he was a terrible person <laughs> so he was very he was really messed up to selena in the movie there was there's a part in the movie where it's made known that she's been having trouble having kids and you know that's a sensitive subject and in the movie he just you know kind of makes fun of that and is not sensitive to that fact at all whatsoever and he just you know treats her like shit so so when I'm able to remember to do it or when I feel moved to do it I would love to use the opportunity to talk about the the deeper things in the movies like the the different themes of movies and I feel like this movie is definitely just about the the crack era and how how bad it was and the fact that um people had to really deal with crack ruin in their community in real time seeing people um go from being you know maybe on the right track to being a crack addict because they you know they tried it and they got hooked on it and now they are at a place where they have used all of their money or sold all their belongings to get get some crack and just how that has imp impacted so many people's lives. Um, I feel like it's important to take these opportunities to just talk about it a little bit more in detail and educate or just keep the conversation going. So I wanted to play the audio of this video, A History of the War on Drugs, to from Prohibition to Gold Rush, narrated by Jay-Z, with 
illustrations by Molly Crabapple. So if you would like to see the actual video, you can go to YouTube and search what is the drug war. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and play the video and then we're going to talk about a little bit, get into it a little bit stuff about it. In 1986, when I was coming of age, Ronald Reagan doubled down on the war on drugs that had been started by Richard Nixon in 1971. Drugs were bad, fried your brain, and drug dealers were monsters. The sole reason neighborhoods and major cities were failing. No one wanted to talk about Reaganomics and the ending of social safety nets, the defunding of schools and the loss of jobs in cities across America. Young men like me who hustled became the sole villain and drug addicts lacked moral fortitude. In the 1990s, incarceration rates in the U.S. blew up. Today, we imprison more people than any other country in the world. China, Russia, Iran, Cuba. All countries we consider autocratic and repressive. Yeah, more than them. Judges' hands were tied by tough-on-crime laws and they were forced to hand out mandatory life sentences for simple possession and low-level drug sales. My home state of New York started this with Rockefeller laws. Then the feds made distinctions between people who sold powder cocaine and crack cocaine, even though they were the same drug. Only difference is how you take it. And even though white people used and sold crack more than black people, somehow it was black people who went to prison. The media ignored actual data to this day. Crack is still talked about as a black problem. The NYPD raided our Brooklyn neighborhoods while Manhattan bankers openly used coke with impunity. The war on drugs exploded the U.S. prison population disproportionately locking away black and Latinos. Our prison population grew more than 900%. When the war on drugs began in 1971, our prison population was 200,000. Today it is over 2 million. Long after the crack era ended, we continued our war on drugs. There were more than 1.5 million drug arrests in 2014. More than 80% were for possession only. Almost half were for marijuana. People are finally talking about treating addiction to harder drugs as a health crisis. But there's no compassionate language about drug dealers. Unless, of course, we're talking about places like Colorado, whose state economy got a huge boost by the above-ground marijuana industry. A few states south in Louisiana is still handing out mandatory sentences for people who sell weed. Despite a boom in its celebrated 50 billion legal marijuana industry, most states still disproportionately hand out mandatory sentences to black and Latinos with drug cases. If you're entrepreneurial and live in one of the many states that are passing legalized laws, you may still face barriers participating in the above ground economy. Venture capitalists migrate to these states to open multi billion dollar operations, but former felons can't open a dispensary. Lots of times those felonies were drug charges caught by poor people who sold drugs for a living, but are now prohibited from participating in one of the fastest growing economies. Got it? In states like New York, where holding marijuana is no longer grounds for arrest, police issue possession citations in black and Latino neighborhoods at a far higher rate than other neighborhoods. Kids in Crown Heights are constantly stopped and ticketed for trees. Kids at dorms in Columbia, where rates of marijuana use are equal to or worse than those in the hood, are never targeted or ticketed. Rates of drug use are as high as they were when Nixon declared the so-called war in 1971. 45 years later, it's time to rethink our policies and laws. The war on drugs is an epic fail. 
All right, so I thought that was a really dope video, especially when you actually look at the video with the illustrations. Um, I think it's, it, it perfectly just summarized what the war on drugs is all about under four minutes. So definitely check it out. I'll put the link in the description or the, the podcast description, the episode notes. And yeah, definitely check it out. Okay, so um, I don't know. I, I was just surprised that I never seen that video before. I heard about it, but I did want to. I didn't want to take too much um time on or spend too much time on this in the episode. I still want to get into like the storyline of the movie, but I did want to just at least um take a, a a little deeper look into what this movie really is about and what it really is. You know, represents. And what was really going on during those, the years that the movie is depicting. So I'm just going to read this article, um, this message from we, we Are the Drug Policy Alliance. So it's about taking action. We are at a point where we need to take action and work towards decriminalizing um, drugs like marijuana. So they are working on a bill or they have been working on a bill so that it can, you know, go in Congress. So after 51 years since President Nixon declared the disastrous quote-unquote war on drugs, most Americans agree it's been a failure. We're making historic headway to end it, including the first ever drug decriminalization bill introduced in Congress just a year ago. The groundbreaking Drug Policy Reform Act will help dismantle the federal drug war through decriminalizing drugs and investing in health-based alternatives. Drug decriminalization is driving the overdose crisis and has made drug possession the most arrested offense in the country, ruining countless lives and preventing us from helping people by treating drug use as the health issue it is. Don't let the drug war continue for another half a century. Urge Congress to take the first step by supporting the DEPRA, DEPRA, which is Drug Policy Reform Act, to decriminalize drugs nationwide. So it just has this take action message that you can send um, to dear representative or senator. And you can fill it out, fill out your information, and then send the message. So I'll put this link in um, the episode description as well. And that's just for the people who do want to take action and, and make sure that this bill is put into Congress because it's ridiculous for people to be in jail, in prison, you know, having their lives waste away in jail for no reason when people are out here legally smoking marijuana, legally selling it, it makes no sense for anyone to still be in jail for that. It didn't make sense for them to be in there back then, and it definitely don't make sense now. So if you want to take action, um, I'll put the link in the description, or you could just go directly to engage.drugpolicy.org. Hold on, trying to get the whole thing. Oh, dot org. Yeah, that's it. 
Okay. So that's engage.drugpolicy.org. So check it out. So let's get into the actual storyline of this movie. So Wesley Snipes, he plays Nino Brown. Nino Brown is the big, big bad guy, the big drug lord. And he's not your, you know, any old drug lord. No, he's he's Nino Brown. And he's real disrespectful. And he don't care. So I noticed that, like, not in every single movie, but sometimes I think writers go the route of um, having the drug lords likable. Like, they have these likable, redeeming qualities about them that makes you root for them, that that makes you like them. Um, and I'm not saying that you you may like actually like Nino Brown just because he because he's a cold, cold person and you might like the things that he say. You might think he's funny and he just be himself and you respect that. So you might you might like that and that's fine. But I'm saying like with certain characters where they are supposed to be like the villain, but there's something about them. You can still tell that they, they are a good person at heart. My point is, with Nino Brown, I don't think he was a good person at all. Like, I don't, I understand the whole, you know, he had to, like, he had to do what he had to do growing up. Growing up in, in a really rough place, real rough city where, you know, you don't have many options. You know, it's either do this or do that. It ain't really much else, you know, people could do especially young men so growing up in that type of environment I understand it can make you make you turn you into somebody else and you might have to be that somebody else in order to survive so of course I know that was his case but he just let it turn him into just a bad person I mean what good human being uses a child as a shield this man to dodge some bullets he used a little baby girl she had been like what four five six years old i don't know but she was a little girl and he used her as a shield in one scene of the movie anybody that does something like that is just is it just the evil person point blank period so nino brown He's your, you know, drug lord, big drug lord. He obviously has to work with, I don't know, were they Italians? I think they, I think, I don't know if they were Dominicans in the movie or if they were Italians. I'm kind of swaying towards Italians. But, you know, in these movies and in, in these situations, they have to have a connect. So, obviously... Nino Brown had an, a connect and it was, you know, people from another race. And I want to say that they were, or an ethnicity, I want to say they were Italians. We're going to go with that. But, but yeah, so he had to work with them. Obviously, that was not something that he would want, want to do, but he know he had to do it for the time being. So he had that, that ongoing conflict with them. 
and the whole trying to see who's the most powerful person who's really running things. And so that 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 beef caused for them to try to kill him. And then that's why that whole scene happens with him using the little girl as a shield. Because of, cause of the shit that he got going on, he wanted to use the little baby girl. So, Neil Brown's not a good person, all right? We have Scotty, played by Ice-T. He's a detective. He's somebody who has lost his mother due to gun violence, senseless crime. She was just, you know, an innocent person who got shot by somebody. And that somebody happens to be Nino Brown. So he hates Nino Brown and he trying to he trying to bring him down. And so he does he does what he has, has to do to get closer to Nino Brown. Like that's his goal. So he ends up working with Chris Rock. Chris Rock plays Pookie. So Pookie was he was selling drugs and the way that Pookie and Ice T's character Scotty got um got acquainted was Scotty was acting like he was trying to buy some drugs from Pookie. One thing leads to another. Scotty starts chasing Pookie. Like Pookie's riding his bike. Like this scene that that scene gave me had me like nervous because the whole time he's like riding his bike down these stairs so the whole time I'm thinking he about to he about to fall off this bike like I I just I just knew that that that's what they was gonna do but not I, I pretty I think he makes it off the stairs with his bike but I mean eventually he gets shot and he gets caught so after he gets shot that leads him to start doing drugs like really really bad so he he turns into like a a crackhead and one thing led to another and scotty got him into rehab so they kind of developed this this relationship where scotty was kind of looking out for him and making sure that he you know recovered I don't know if all along, maybe all along is he wanted to use Pookie because Pookie had, Pookie had, a, I guess, somewhat of a relationship with Nino Brown. So he could use Pookie to get closer to Nino Brown. And then that that's eventually what he did because Pookie got good. He got, um, he got good. He got off the crack. He got rehabilitated and whatnot. And, and he really wanted to, you know, he was like, let me, I want to be a part of something. I want to do something. If I just go be in the streets, then that's not going to end well for me. So he went undercover and went working for Nino Brown. So Scotty was using Pookie to get close to Nino Brown and the plan was working, but Pookie eventually gave in and started doing crack again and then he messed everything up and got caught and got himself killed so Pookie's out of the equation 
At this point, Scotty decides to get close to Nino Brown's right-hand man, who is played by Alan Payne. He goes by G-Money. Now, G-Money and Nino Brown, they have this brotherly relationship, and they work together. They're partners, and they've been running this drug game together. Nino and G-Money start butting heads. They just kind of have like this, this, this power, power battle between the two because I, at some point G-Money got, got tired of Nino Brown just, you know, everything being about him and him running things and him having all the power. So at some point, naturally, G-Money was going to want to have some power for himself. So I think that kind of led them to their demise and the fact that Nino Brown would embarrass G Money sometimes. Like because he knew who what his position was, he, you know, took advantage of that and tried to play G Money sometimes. And you know, that got to his head. So he met Scotty. And the reason why is because G Money is the one that had hired Pookie to look out at the crack spot. And because Pookie was undercover and he was wearing a wire, they were able to run up in there and, you know, the whole operation was down, down bad. And so that's the way that Scotty was able to get to G Money. And so they started working together, trying to get closer to. Nino Brown and take him out. So soon as Scotty came in the picture, Nino, he he had his, he already knew, he already had his doubts. He already knew something was up with Scotty. He didn't really trust G-Money at, at that time. It was kind of like, he still trusted him, but he just was, he just felt like something was up, especially with Scotty. But he, he did the whole keep your enemies close thing and they they started you know hanging out and Scotty of course wanted to make Nino trust him and so he had to you know go undercover and start doing things that he didn't really you know agree with which I feel like obviously that's just bound to happen when you undercover and then when you in that type of environment undercover like you gotta play the part or you gonna you gonna go. You gonna blow your cover. So, to prevent that from happening, Scotty had to do what he had to do. Um, eventually, Scotty and Nino Brown they butt heads. So he gets Nino gets caught. Let's just fast forward. He gets caught, and then he's on the run. At this point, he knows G Money has something to do with it. So that infamous scene and I, I really like like that scene too with g-money and nino when he has that black hat on and he he ends up shooting g-money and i really like that scene i look like his emotion in that scene like his the way he was staring at him and he started his eyes started watering and you could just like see the hurt all on his face that he was really hurt, but he knew that he had to 
kill his brother. So the thing that don't make sense is at this point, uh, Nino is on the run. He's on the run. And instead of like actually being on the run, he goes to his house. Like, I guess he didn't think that they were they would know where he actually lives or that they wouldn't be able to find out or figure it out. But Scotty, he goes looking. He knows. He figured out somehow what building he lives in. And there were some people outside. He got them to tell him or admit that Nino lived in that building. So they obviously went in that building. Saw Nino was actually there. And he was like in his robe, all comfortable. So I'm just like, if you on the run, why you didn't why you didn't leave? Like what what's what you doing? But like I said, maybe he just thought he wasn't gonna get caught. I don't know. But yeah, so he goes to court. He ends up getting off somehow. I guess because he was gonna give up some names and snitch, something like that. So he was only gonna have to do serve like a year. Of course, the people was not happy about that. The old man, Bill Cobbs, he's actually that's who he's actually known as in the movie as the old man. He ends up shooting Nino at the courthouse. And that's how the movie ends. The end. <laughs> So that is New Jack City. Very classic, classic black movie in the 90s. It was released March 8, 1991. Uh, It had about an $8 million estimated budget. Looks like it made, it grossed worldwide about $47 million. So it did a great job. Let me see. Let's see if there's any. Oh, let's leave. Let's actually look at some reviews. I haven't read any reviews in a while. So I'm just going to read some random ones. <laughs> let's do. So somebody gave it an 8 out of 10. So Shadow Man 123 said, New Jack City is from. Is from. Is from is. Okay, y'all, y'all got to proofread this stuff before y'all submit it. Probably an example of an early 90s black exploitation flick, which is straight up with other greats like Boys in the Hood. However, this focuses on more of the 1980s era when the crack cocaine problem broke out onto the streets on New York City. This movie is brilliant because unlike most gangster or mafia flicks, which almost portray a hedonistic view, New Jack City is very urban and down to earth. The film wastes no time breaking into action with no OTT cliches, which we have all gotten used to seeing. The script was great with a lot of sharp twists and turns. I see performance was certainly noteworthy and is it is easy to see how he would go into onto play law and order. Although I felt there were some stereotypical black cop moments in his performance, which I am afraid I just did not stand or did not by and his partner did not really do much part past sarcasm and comes up with probably one good idea in the movie 
Having said that, the star of the show was truly Wesley Snipes. I agree, because truly without him, this movie would have been nothing. Although I am aware that he models himself after Tony Montana in certain aspects, he was actually based in his performance on a real-life gangster, and it was a pleasure to see him on screen because he was not portraying a typical hood rat. Instead, we have got a person who almost reminds one of Al Capone with his untouchable attitude, but at the same time is very intelligent. One might even be charmed or might find himself agreeing with the stuff he comes out with. But Snipes does a masterful job of showing us how evil his this man really is, although it, with Robin Hood and his married men crew also, it note checking out. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I'm reading it as it says. Checking out Chris Rock's performance, although he was added for humor, he did not shy away from the dangers of crap. The film only faulted with a few minor things like the ending, which probably everyone saw coming. However, have said that. However, have said that. <laughs> New Jack City was from time when I was growing up where the word cool was at an all-time high with wacky track suits and haircuts. But the rap music still has not lost its shine, along with the very sharp anti-drugs message. I would recommend this one to fans of black exploitation, Law and Order, and also gangster flicks, or just for Snipes' performance alone, as you will watch one man who exploits the misery of others as a business opportunity, all in the name of the American way. Okay, I fuck with that last that last sentence. I really like that. But yeah. Ice T, he said he liked his performance. I'm, I mean, his performance was, it was cool. It was good. It was decent, and I definitely agree with the fact that it. You can definitely tell why someone like Ice T would then transition into a show like Law and Order. Um, I, I, I enjoy him on Law and Order, and you can see like his, his just progress along the years in acting. Uh, let me see. Let me read this one. Someone gave it a 10 out of 10. A must for all fans of mafia type movies. This is a very stylish movie. All the elements seem to have combined to give it a very distinctive look and feel. The soundtrack is excellent and complements the story perfectly. Almost like it is a part of the story. All the performances are great. But special mention has to go to Wesley Snipes. And the great Judd Nelson Ice-T double act. Okay, the plot doesn't really tax your brain, but if you are a fan of gangster movies or want a bit of mindless entertainment, then you won't go wrong with this film. All right, let me go to one more. So let's see if I can find what is the lowest rating on here. Oh, somebody said, man, this is bad. <laughs> They gave it a 3 out of 10. So let's see what they said. So I haven't seen this one for a long time and now I know why. It's amazing how some movies get better with age and some don't. I remember when this came out. It was supposed to be so tough and modern. Now it just looks as empty as the 80s were. The worst part has to be the script. It's so bland and corny. It sounds like it was written by high school kids. Dang. Even the tough guys sound like wimps. The mob head looks like a used car salesman. The cops are clowns, and Snipes' character is so over the top, it's laughable. There's no way this plot would work in real life. 
taking over a building so big they would be caught in five minutes. God, I'm glad these cold styles are gone. Okay, well, that person really does not like this movie. Uh, they gave it a three out of ten. So, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it sounds like it was written by high school kids. Um, I do think that there were some parts where it was just like, huh? Like, what? But overall, I think the storyline was, it's a decent storyline. Um, I think it's, it's an impactful movie. Especially, you know, coming out when it came out and being able to watch it and just see um, how how it has aged over the years. And I honestly feel like Wesley Snipes, like his performance in this movie was like top tier, like for real, for real. I recorded a whole segment on some did you know facts and trivia that I um, had for the episode, but unfortunately, my mic was not plugged in all the way, so it did not record all eight minutes of me going over some trivia, but you know what? It's all good. Um, this episode is damn near an hour long, so I do hope you guys enjoyed it, and next week, we'll, we, we will be getting to another 90s movie. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, check out Catch These Vibes Pod on Instagram. Catch underscore Vibes Pod on Twitter so that you can stay up to date. I did put out a schedule. So if you want to take a look at the schedule of the next movies that we will be doing, I have created a schedule all the way until October. I haven't posted the month of October just yet. I'm waiting on that, but I cannot wait for y'all to see What's in store for the month of October? Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Shout out to all my indie podcasters out there. Keep doing your thing. I know it gets tough, but you are doing amazing, okay? Always keep that in mind, all right? Uh, I do hope everyone has a great rest of their week. And until next time, love, peace, and hair grease.